Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. We're going to start today in launching into the book of Revelation, the part that gets to where what God is going to do in the last days. I believe that we are in the last days. I believe that we are seeing the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Lord. Here is the truth. I do not know how people watch unfolding events right now without the knowledge that, that God is on the throne. Do you know what I'm saying? I can't imagine watching our nation, watching what's going on in the Ukraine and things like that. And I, I want us to re- receive the comfort and the assurance of the Lord that he is still seated upon the throne and that the the, the most important thing is, are you on the Lord's side? That's the question right there. Are you on his side? So we can all get on his side today, and we're going to look at Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. I cannot go into all the details that some of you are going to want to go into because I'm afraid we'll bog down, and I'll lose you on the way, and we'll lose the big picture. So I want you to know, Monday through Friday, you can go on our website, And you can get a daily devotional where I can flesh out a few of these things a little bit further. Starting tomorrow morning, we recorded them on Friday. There'll be another five-minute teaching tomorrow and then um, all the way through Friday. We're going to do that every week. So I'm going to be listening for your questions, uh, if you have any, and also be talking about some current events that are going on that are relevant to all of this. And um, I'm, I'm... I'm excited to be a part of God's plan and excited to live in the days that we live. You feel the heartache of it. You can't help but watch the Ukraine right now and feel your heart just grieve over those folks having to leave their families and and loved ones behind. And yet at the same time, let's remember, God's plan is eternal. It's eternal. And every injustice will be made up for on the other side. And so no one's getting the last laugh or the last word. God will have both, right? Yes. Revelation chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to highlight what we have time to highlight. Starting to read in verse 1. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said... Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. Now, this is an important phrase. After these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, the throne was standing in in heaven, and someone was sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf. 
the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on, their th- on the throne and they will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will, they existed and were created. Father, I want to just stop for a moment and thank you for the living word of God. The Holy Spirit brought revelation. And I pray, Lord, that that revelation would come to our heart. I pray, Father, if, if it's some, someone's first time in diving into the word of God today or whether we've known the word for years, I pray that fresh revelation would come. We're completely relying upon the Spirit of God to unwrap this book for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me read that first verse again. After these things, I looked up, and behold, the door is standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. I, I am... As I study the scriptures, convinced that we are to every day live in the expectation of the coming of Christ. A lot of people might be sitting here today and said, I've been hearing this ever since I was a child. My parents told me this, and they were saying Jesus was right around the corner. I was a child raised in the home of a pastor where every time I went home and mom and dad weren't there, I was sure that Jesus had come and left me behind (laughs) and took mom and dad. The thing is, we might think, oh, we've heard this forever, but I want you to know that this revelation is being released in new ways just within the last few decades. And why was that? My dad was 21 years old when finally the nation of Israel was born in a day. Up until the day before, no one could have imagined that Israel could be restored in a day. And the book of Revelation was disqualified because the nation of Israel played such a critical role in the revelations in the book. And yet in one day, suddenly, the possibility of all revelation coming true just struck every believer so strong in their hearts. So we should not be saying, well, mom and dad believed it and they're with the Lord now. But the truth is, if they weren't wrong, I believe that we are in the unfolding events of the last days. We're going to be looking in the book of Revelation about the prediction of the prophecy of a one world government and of a one world religion. The motion towards that right now is unbelievable what's happening. Even if you watch the news, the Pope is kind of starting to blur the lines between Islam and and Judaism and all the religions and bringing them all unto one world religion. The Lord had already prophesied that that was going to happen. It's a violation of the very the very heart of what Jesus taught, that, that there's no other way to the Father except through him. So I want us to understand today that we should not be among those who begin 
begin to scoff and just say, ah, it's been 2,000 years. He left a long time ago. Those who will enter into the fullness of God are those who live in the anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. And I live there, and I know that many of you do as well. So much so that I believe that there's not even a scriptural indication that we cannot believe that before this service is over, over, we could hear the trumpet sound, the shout of Jesus, the voice of an archangel, and be caught up into the very presence of the Lord. So I know that if you're new to Christianity or you're just exploring it, that this might sound as though it's um, fantastical, actually, if you've never been exposed to these things. But I believe that if you stay with us, you're going to realize that this is an unfolding story and that you can become fully convinced of who Christ is in the course of human history. So it says, suddenly, John was there after he had received the revelation of seven churches. God addressed seven churches, which we did for seven weeks. We spoke about each church, and as we were looking at them, we see that they identify unfolding events of church history. The church has gotten itself in a lot of trouble. There were more rebukes than there were commendations. But here is the truth, that as you watch the unfolding events of these seven churches, you can see that there are seven periods of the church. I believe that we are part of that seventh church, the church of Laodicea, where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let me into the church? Because you can have church without Jesus. You shouldn't be able to, but you can pretend. Because it's only the church where he is living and active. But as we look at this passage, it says this, John said he heard a voice and it sounded like a trumpet. That's an important part. And that trumpet voice had come up here. After the seven periods of the church, John heard a word that said, come up here. And John said he entered into the spirit. The Apostle Paul talked about such an event where he entered into the glory of heaven and he said it was so real to him he couldn't tell whether he was physically there or not. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. But he received this revelation and the Lord says this, that the voice came to him that said, come up here. And it said, after these things, which is really kind of a strange phrase to be put in there, but after what things? After the seven periods of the church. There was a voice that went out and it said, come up here. After God's working with seven periods within the church, after those periods, the Lord said, come up here. And now in chapter 4 and chapter 5, what we're going to see is a revelation of who God is. The only reason that you and I can live forward, walk forward in this day in boldness, in confidence, and faith is with a clear revelation of who God is and how he's seated upon the throne. And knowing that at every moment, God has not lost control. It's never happened. And actually, what is the his determination is to bring all of mankind and all of creation into the original glory that he intended for it. So having, looking, look, having looked at this book suddenly at the beginning of chapter 4, it takes a major shift. Up until chapter 4, it's talking about the church. Then there's a voice that says, come up here. And then the book suddenly goes from church conversation to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And that's what I want us to be able to understand today, that God has not forsaken the Jewish people. God still has a plan for them and a purpose. He will fulfill his promises to Abraham, 
even though it's been thousands of years. God will not forget, and God had told the Jews that I have loved you with an everlasting love. And that's why it's so important for the church to understand that Israel was the original olive tree that God had planted. And that the Bible says that when we come to Christ, that we are grafted into the tree of the promises of what God was doing through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It never said that the church replaced the tree of Israel. It says that we are wild branches. Are you a, were you a wild branch before you came to Christ, right? And you were grafted in to that tree. The church has not replaced Israel. Some people say the promises that were given to Israel now have been inherited by the church because they didn't recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. God will be faithful to them, and the word is so true when the Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God loves the Jewish people, and I can further uh, give testimony to that just by looking at the Apostle Paul, a Jew, who was writing out uh, the, the story of the relationship of the church to the Jewish people and what God is doing. Here's what he said in Romans chapter 11. Would you turn there or listen to me, close to me? I'm gonna be speaking fast, so you're gonna to have to listen fast, all right? So as we look at this, it says this. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Far from it. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. He says then later in verse 25, I do not want you brothers and sisters to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The apostle Paul has said to us that God in his eternal wisdom and plan determined that even this faith that was given by the promises that came through the Jewish prophets that there would come a hardening so that they could not see the promise of the Messiah through the Lord Jesus Christ, but that actually that would result in the coming of the Gentile world. And it says that the Gentile world will have its moment until the time of the Gentiles is over. When you think about the gospel through the internet, through the airwaves, it has gone around the world. The world is an opportunity to receive an understanding of who Jesus is. I believe that the time of the Gentiles is wrapping up and that God will remember those people, the real original tree of his purpose on the earth, that God will come back and fulfill and that he will wash away the sins of Israel even as he's done in our own lives. And so we just praise God that he will always be faithful to every promise and every covenant he has ever made with any human being. He's gonna make sure that he will fulfill his word. If we look at chapter four, 
and we realize that there is an unfolding events of God's dealing again with the age of, uh, or the seven years that are found that Daniel predicted in the Bible. That from the church being called up, we don't see it again in the book of Revelation. This is why so much confusion comes in. Because it's a book written for Israel and for its destiny. Written by a Jewish man, the Apostle John. We do not see the church again until we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we'll talk about later, where the saints will sit down with Jesus, where he will once again drink the fruit of the vine like we drank this morning. He won't drink it until we're in his presence at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So let's remember, we're looking at the destiny of Israel, but also the world in relationship to Israel. So these things must first take place. God's working with the church, and then there'll be a calling up. Now, I want to look at the words of Jesus, because some, there are some here today, I, I, I'm assured of that, who, who are students of the book of Revelation. I believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus will come before Daniel's prediction of there being a seven years of trouble. I can't go into that in real depth right now. But thinking about that, 700 years before the coming of Christ, Daniel, by prophetic word, predicted the time of the death of the Messiah, which is amazing. It's an amazing study. There's only one time where God said that there's going to be the cutting off of the Messiah from Israel. That time came and went, and it is, isn't it amazing that it was during the time of Christ? It's already too late for anyone else to fulfill the messianic promise of the coming of Christ. It was predicted to the day. Daniel said it would be 49 weeks before the Messiah is cut off. In the scriptures and in prophecy, weeks and time is rep can represent years. He was saying that 49 sets of seven years that God is going to work with the nation of Israel until the Messiah is cut off. What happened when the Messiah was cut off? The church was born. That the gospel began to spread among the Gentiles. No concept. We were foreign to all the promises of God, foreign to the prophecies. But the world began to hear the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But something happened. The last week, the last seven weeks of years were not fulfilled. There's this cutting off of the Messiah. But wait, it predicted that. But then it says, but there's another week of years left. The book of Revelation is talking about these last seven years of God's dealing with the nation of Israel. And so as we're looking at that, we're beginning to understand that Jesus has come on the earth, if you remember, to establish his kingdom. The last song we sang, we were just a praise that we're living for your kingdom the kingdom of God. Now let's look at what the teaching of Jesus was and, and why I land on the idea that Christ comes before the seven years. First, because the seven years are the prophecies of what will happen to Israel. 
But some people believe that halfway through the seven years, when the Antichrist is present, but he hasn't gone full-blown nuts, that he'll come, Christ will come right before that. Some believe that he'll only come at the end of the seven years. I want to unwrap for us why I'm, I'm convinced that Christ is going to come before this seven-year period where God will deal with Israel. As we think about the fact that Jesus took his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi, and if you join Pam and I in our trip to Israel, you're in a place where the Jordan River mysteriously appears out of the ground. So the ancients thought it was a mystical place because suddenly there's the beginning of a river. In that place, there are niches that are carved into the rocky cliffs, and in those niches, there were gods to all kinds of gods. The, actually, the, the, the modern name for where Jesus had told this story is called Banyas. It's because there the Arabs can't say the, the P sound, the P letter. So they actually, it was called Panyas because Pan was worshipped there. Not Peter Pan, but there's a connection. But they worshipped false gods there. And Jesus in that place asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Among all the gods, Jesus is saying, who am I? And Peter gave the confession. He said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. So he spoke to him as the hope of mankind, the Messiah. And then he said this, the son of the living God. And Peter declared his deity. And in that place, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood didn't teach you that. Jesus was acknowledging Peter received the revelation by the Spirit of God. And then he said, upon this rock, this confession, I will build my church. My church will be built of people who will confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is the Messiah of the world. Then Jesus said this, and there are some of you that are standing here right now who will not die before seeing the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's amazing. Because you know what? You might say to me, but, the, but Jesus hasn't come yet. How, how is it that some of them there were able to see Jesus coming in his kingdom? Well, the very next part of the story, it goes right into it, is that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they went up to the top of Mount Hermon, most likely. And there Jesus was transfigured into a glory. His brightness, it was brilliant. His clothes were actually, his white robes were actually glowing in that place. And they saw Jesus, John, Peter, James, saw Jesus coming in the kingdom. We find out later on that John saw the revelation of the coming of Jesus. He saw it before he died. Now, here's the amazing thing about when Christ was on the mountaintop and being transfigured. Two, two men showed up. And at the coming of Christ, we understand when Christ comes in his kingdom, these two men represent two groups. The first man was Moses. And Moses died. And he went to heaven. The Bible says that because of God's concern that the Jews would worship his, his, his place of death, that God hid his body. He, we know, he was buried. God said deliberately, 
He said, Moses, your servant is dead. Moses is dead, dead. But he was represented there when Christ was revealed as coming in his kingdom. Then there was another man that was present there, and his name was Elijah. And what does the story of Elijah tell us? Elijah never died. Elijah was caught up. He was alive when he entered into the presence of the Lord. And so Elijah was there serving the Lord, and a fiery chariot came down, and it caught him up. And you say, oh, that story is so fantastic. No, God was giving a sign to mankind about what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. There's going to be a group that's going to be represented by Moses who will have died and will have been called up into the kingdom of Christ. And then there's going to be another group who will be alive at the moment, and they will be caught up to be present with the Lord. Isn't that amazing there? See, the whole story unfolds. This story was there from the very beginning. But I want us to understand here is that people are saying, well, what's this talk about a rapture? We all know what rapture means. It's a moment of ecstasy and of great joy. We talk about the rapture of the church. The word is not found in there. But it's like a, a, a catching up with, with great joy. But then we also talk about the second coming of Christ. If you read in the book of Revelation, you will read the story about the second coming of Christ, and it's astounding. I mean, it's, it's full of awe and strike terror kind of coming. And then you ask yourself the question, well, how do, why does it look like there's two different ways that Jesus came? What, or I'm sorry, why does it look like there's two different ways that it prophesied that he would come? When Jesus ascended from the earth, an angel showed up and said very specifically, in the way that you've seen him go into the heavens is the way he's going to come. So it was Jesus being taken up into a cloud in the heaven. He wasn't on a horse, nothing like that. He ascended up into heaven. But then let's turn to Revelation chapter 19 and let's try to figure that out with this other story that's prophesied about how Jesus will come. Revelation chapter 19 says this, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and then on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses." From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now wait a minute. Didn't the angel say when Jesus ascended in heaven in the same fashion he was taken up is the fashion in which he will return? Then why do we have this story of a white-robed, white robed, dipped in blood, 
white horse rider whose eyes are on a flame of fire and followed by an army of individuals who are also wearing white robes. It's because we have to understand that God is saying at the second coming of Christ, it is an event, and that event is first off going to be, be witnessed by the rapture of the saints taken up into the glory of heaven. In that passage right there, we've come to realize that as Christ is riding, and he's riding what? With a fierceness to bring judgment, judgment upon the earth for mankind's disobedience and the harm that they've caused to each other. And we, we, we see this picture of how we came and then, and then with that sense of judgment that all the nations see is coming. That's part of an event that there is the coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, the taking up of the church, and then there's this seven-year period where God is going to deal with the nation of Israel as the nations rise up against her. And when they come against the people of God, God is going to come then with that coming where he comes on the white horse with the followers of Jesus Christ, which is you and me, also being a part of the army of God. It's so amazing, but it helps us to understand why there seems as though there's two different stories. But understand, it's just one event. When we talk about this catching up of the church, a rapture that could happen before the service is over, Jesus said that it will be like this. There'll be two men on a roof. One will be taken and another one will be left. There'll be two in a field, and one will be taken, and another will be left. It's going to come suddenly. The Bible says it'll be like a thief in the night, not like a white horse rider roaring through the skies with an army behind him where all the nations come and see that this is the fulfillment of Jesus being the white horse rider and that prophecy being fulfilled. So I want to read for you I hope I'm not losing anybody. We looked at this white horse rider coming, but let's look at this other coming, this rapture that we're talking about. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Now, part of the debate where people land differently on the timing of the coming of Christ comes down to this, is that the problem is, is that a, a one who believes as I do is not preparing people for a time of great trouble. But here's the thing, man. I think that every day we should be living expecting that Christ will return. The Bible says that anybody who has that hope in them, they'll purify themselves like he is pure. But also to understand that we could just be living in a day, right, where we might have to suffer persecution. Jesus said, there is a day coming when all men will hate you on account of my name. And that spirit of antichrist has been in the world since, since Judas came against Jesus, since John wrote his epistle, but we're, we're, it hasn't been full-blown yet. But in the meantime, we do know that we should be prepared for the coming of Christ, but also be prepared to stand up for our faith and to defend it. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. 
Let's start reading at verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do and have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Here it's a description of the coming of Christ that only deals with two groups of people. This is not the great resurrection of the great, both, uh, 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 the re great resurrection of both the small and the great that's described at the book of Revelation. This is, a, revel this is a, a resurrection that is only impacting those who have died in Christ. The body describes, the, the word of God describes them as having their body asleep. They're asleep in the grave. If a person dies and they're a believer in Christ, the Bible teaches us if we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. But the body sleeps in the grave. When Christ comes, there will be a coming that is only for two groups. The first group is represented by Moses. They're the group that died in Christ. The graves are going to open. Why? Because of the shout of the Lord, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. And in that moment, the, dead, the graves are going to open up of the saints who have followed the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. And that they're going to be taken up and they're going to precede us. Those of us who are alive. Notice I'm accounting on being alive when it happens. But those who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus is going to come for his church. There are other signs. There are, there are momentary judgments. Like you take a man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, uh, the, one of the greatest theologians of the 19th century. He took a stand against the Nazis as they were murdering the Jews. He was actually, believe it or not, this pastor was part of a conspiracy to assassinate Hitler. Because he was found and discovered that he was part of that attempt, he was taken to a concentration camp. And just three or four days before that camp was liberated by the Americans, he was hung by the Nazis with piano wire. This was a man who suffered persecution. Jesus said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But we also understand this, is that there is an example that when there is a judgment, not just trouble on this earth, but when God is pouring out a judgment upon the earth, I've said this before, he doesn't judge the earth with a shotgun. It's like an arrow. It's very specific, and it goes to the target. And the thing is this, is that this is about, the book of Revelation, about a global judgment that's going to come to the earth. And God would, will remain just, and he will not judge his people as he is judging the world. And as we think about this promise that's given to us right here, we understand that there are stories like Noah, 
who what? When God wanted to do a what? A global punishment. Why? For the wickedness that had covered the earth. And we read in that story that, Moses, uh, that Noah was described as the last righteous man upon the earth. And what did God do? God provided for him that ark. Yes, he had to build it. But God provided, gave him the wisdom to have an ark so that he could float above the judgment. I think that's just one of the many pictures about Christ coming for his church. So as we're looking at um, Revelation chapter 4, let's keep going to verse 2. John said, I was immediately in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and someone was sitting on the throne, and he was sitting, was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Now, let's just pause there for just a moment, if we can. We understand this, is that he didn't say, when I saw the throne of God, that I saw a head, and I saw arms, and I saw feet. He said, I, I, I saw something a light that was emanating from the very throne of God. God dwells everywhere. He doesn't dwell in one body, in one place. He could reveal himself in that way, but the Bible helps us to understand if a man even made his bed in hell, God's gonna be there. God is everywhere. And yet in this revelation, what, how does God represent, how is he represented? There's this great and this amazing throne but from that throne is emanating this brilliance. And the first brilliance is jasper. What is jasper? It's a very dark green. So just picture the throne of God with a very dark and yet brilliant, deep green. Representing what does green represent? How did, well, how did God choose to use the color green? It's a symbol of life. It's a symbol of abundance. It shows that God's eternal plan is always to be for life, for life for mankind. Then around the light, the, uh, the dark green, there was the color of the sardius, which is a blood red stone. And we realize that the role of God's even sending his own son for the restoration of you and I to eternal life, it required the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. But then on top of that, there's a rainbow, not just over, but around the throne. A rainbow, and it's like an emerald. It's a more brilliant green. It's the glow, the em what emanates from the very throne of God. It's God's glory. And we know that what is the rainbow a promise of? That when God judged the earth with a flood and Noah got delivered, that after the flood, God put a rainbow in the sky. And what was it? It was a sign that God will be faithful to his people. And even in a time of judgment, he's still in control. But the amazing thing about rainbows is for you and I who walk the earth, what do we always see at best? We see half a circle. We see about half the promises of God sometimes, don't we? We, we understand just about half of everything that's going on in our Christian life. But the Bible says on heaven's side, the circle is completed. Because you see everything, and you see how everything comes back around. You might be believing God for a promise right now, and you're seeing half of it, and you don't know how to connect it all. But when we get to heaven's side, we're going to realize that the promises of God are going to be completely fulfilled, even though I didn't understand it right now. We have the advantage of being able to fly in an airplane today 
And because we can fly in airplanes, how many of you looked out the window and saw the complete circle of a rainbow? The rainbow from above is a circle. The rainbow on the earth is half. And I want us to understand today that no matter what you're going through, you're not always going to have the full picture. When we took a stand and a position for the church, I'm just going to share honestly with you that you take a stand in a position on the mask issue and for whatever it is, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, I'm like, wow, half of our income devastated, half of our student body devastated. And yet I did what I felt like God called me to do. But I'm gonna tell you something, I can only see half the rainbow. But when all is said and done, I know that when I get to heaven, I'm gonna look back on this life and I'm gonna see how God completed the whole thing. And it's the same thing for your life. See, this is the hope of the believer in the last days. We can't, we're not going to walk through these days seeing the full picture. And yet John in his revelation of who God is helps him to understand, man, you live for the Lord. Someday you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to explain it all to us. And he's going to fulfill his promises to us. It says around the throne of God that John saw that there were 24 thrones. And on the 24 thrones, there were 24 elders now, what's amazing about all of this is that Daniel had had this same vision of the throne of God, and he saw all the thrones, but only one throne was occupied. Then Jesus came. Daniel prophesied the Messiah. Jesus comes, and now the revelation is, is that God is seated on the throne, and then there's 24 other thrones with 24 elders on it. And these men represent humanity because they're clothed in white robes, and they receive the crown of life. That represent, these 24 represent who? Well, if you remember, there were 24. There were 24 tribal leaders and tribes in the nation of Israel. God had made a covenant with them. There were also 12 disciples. Do you remember that when Judas had hung himself, that the, the other apostles said, we must get the 12th? Why? It comes to the revelation of all of this. There will be 24 thrones with 24 elders, leaders of the people that are going to represent the multitudes of those who died in faith in God and in Jesus Christ. And so they represent us. And there's coming a moment when these 12 apostles and these 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel will get off their throne and they will represent us because we will as well. And we will take the crowns that were given to us for how we obeyed the Lord in this life. And in that moment, we're gonna take those crowns off and we're gonna cast them at the feet of Jesus. Because there's coming a day, you know, in this life we go, oh, that person's a saint, oh, that person's better, oh, that person's more gifted or whatever. But there's not going to be one person who's in heaven who receives a, a reward for how he lived his life who won't be in the presence of Jesus and just say, you know what, there's no way I deserve to be here. There's no way I deserve this crown. The whole reason why I live for the Lord is because he loved me. And we're going to take these crowns off of our heads and we're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus. And everybody in heaven is going to say, Jesus, it's all because of you. It's all because of you. We're here because of you. And it's so amazing that these 12 represent the Lord. You know, if you're, if I'm going to go further into that during the day, daily devotionals. And it's just amazing that when you realize that in front of the throne, there were, there were these cherubim. One had the face of a lion. One had the face of a lamb. One had the face of a calf or an ox. 
according to Ezekiel's same thing. And then one had the face of an eagle and they had eyes in front of them and eyes behind them. And I'll be talking this week in the daily devotion about these cherubim and who they were. But as we look at this story, we understand that even the nation of Israel is represented in this picture. Because as the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness and they had the tabernacle in the center, that each, there were four tribes, one to the north, one to the south, one to the east, and one to the west. And each one of them represented the other tribes. They were representatives. But guess what flag they flew over? Guess what flag was on the right, the left, the, the north, the south of the, uh, of the tabernacle where the presence, the throne, the mercy seat of God was? The flags that were flown were the flag of the lion, the flag of the man, the flag of the ox, and the flag of the eagle. Do you understand that even in the na for the nation of Israel, when they were walking through, through the wilderness, that God was revealing to them, I have a great plan for you, and you're going to enter into the glory of heaven. God is not done with the Jewish people yet. So if you watch this week, please, I, I would advise you to, that as you look at what John saw in this book, he saw the throne of God. What did they have in the tabernacle? The mercy seat where God sat. And then outside that, what did they have over top of the mercy seat? Two cherubim like John saw. Then it also says in this passage that John saw the seven spirits of God. Well, what were outside of the holiest place in the tabernacle? There was the lamp with the seven lampstands. It represented the Holy Spirit. Then it talks about John's side. I saw a great sea clear as crystal in front of the throne of God. What was in the tabernacle as they wandered through the wilderness? There was this huge, giant, bronze laver that represented the sea of glass that is actually before the throne of God. And then also in front of the sea of glass, there was an altar. And John saw that under this altar were the saints that were martyred for their faith in Christ. What was in front of the laver in, outside the tabernacle? Well, what they had there was the altar of the Lord where the sacrifice was offered. Do you know, do you realize today that you have the same things in your heart? You invite God to sit on the, sit on the throne of, of your heart. Do you also realize that the Bible has promised for you that there is angelic protection for you? Do you also realize that the seven spirits of God are active in your life? The spirit of the Lord is upon you. He's anointed you, right? Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. God's working in you through the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that you had to come to the altar of the Lord in order to be forgiven, to enter into the presence of God? Do you understand your very physical and spiritual being reflects the throne room of God? God lives inside of you. God does. And the most amazing thing about John seeing the, whole, the, the seven spirits of God before the throne of God, we understand that the spirit of God, when after the church heard the words, come up here, the Holy Spirit's in heaven. He's in heaven. How did that happen? Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you to go because I will send you the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in heaven and he's no longer with the church, that's an impossibility. He's been given to the church. The Holy Spirit is in heaven because the church is in heaven. 
See, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And sometimes we think, ah, I don't know about that. I like the thought of it. Don't know how real it is. No. You're the salt. What does salt do? Salt preserves. Soft, salt keeps full-blown rot from happening around the world. And Jesus is helping us to understand that as we come to him and as we receive the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, that we are the restraining force so that to this point, the spirit of Antichrist is on the earth, but he can't go for broke until the church is taken out. Do you remember when I talked about Jesus saying that some of you won't depart before seeing the kingdom? What did he tell the church? He said, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Here's the thing. Jesus told the church, a praying church, you can bind evil. And you can loose blessing. The reason I believe that the church needs to be taken out before Satan and the Antichrist can have their full-blown day is because the praying church is the only thing on the earth that has kept the world from, I'm not swearing, from going to hell. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, say this, kingdom of God come and will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus raptures the church out, the Holy Spirit goes out with them. And then at the very same time, then Satan just has his day. Again, I just want you to be watching the video this week because the Apostle Paul taught us, you're gonna have to, I'm out of time. How many of you have ever heard the teaching that the Apostle Paul said that first there's gonna be a falling away before the Antichrist is revealed, right? And then there, then there will be the end. I want you to know that word falling away actually is apostasia, apostasy. But in that context, it just means there's going to be a departure. And apostasy for a Christian is a departure from the faith. But the Lord says in his scriptures that there will be a departure before the man of wickedness is revealed. And then it says, when he who restrains is removed, the Antichrist will be revealed. Who restrains evil on the earth today? It's the Holy Spirit through the believer. And I'm sorry I ran out of time on that. It will be, I think, in day two or three. But today I just want to say this. When John received the revelation of the throne of God, it says, from it was coming lightning bolts and peals of thunder. That's a judgment throne where judgment is coming from it. But that's not the throne today. The throne today is not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. Where God, nothing about him is off-putting. It's an invitation to come to him. The book of Philippians says, that Jesus has been given a name above every other name, that at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I'm saying this because it's real. 
You know it's not a threat. I can't own it as my own. Everyone's knee will bow before the throne. But the truth is this. You can choose to bow before the throne of grace that offers forgiveness or salvation, or your knee will be forced to bow before the throne of judgment, of lightning and peals of thunder. That's that's just the reality. I want you to know today, Jesus loves each and every one of us so much, and he loves the world so much that he's saying, come to me now, receive forgiveness, receive grace, bow your knee to me. I'm still in control. I'm still Lord. And if you will bow your knee in this life, you can look forward and anticipate the coming of the Savior and being able to dwell in his eternal place of blessing. I want to ask each and every one of you, do you know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that you're ready to meet the Lord? Do you know they scoffed the first time that they said he was going to come and they said, it's been a long time. Where is he? Where's the Messiah? But he came. And it's the same thing today. There could be some scoffing, but the truth is God will fulfill his word. I want to ask you to please continue with me over the weeks because I think that you are going to realize that there are unfolding events that fully validate the book of Revelation and the promises of God. Are you ready to meet Jesus today? Are you ready to meet him? It's not a, oh God, get us out of here. It's fighting the fight of faith until he comes, knowing that every act of obedience to God will be rewarded, amen? Amen. Let's all stand up this morning. I'm gonna close with a word of prayer. first time Jesus came, he rode a donkey into Jerusalem. His mission brought with humility to just save people, to let them know that he came to bring forgiveness. The scriptures let us know the next time he comes, he will come on a white horse with an army behind him. I'm telling you today, I don't have to I don't have to offer you today. I have to offer you the story of the white horse Jesus. But I'm telling you that what's available to you today is the humble Savior who died on the cross for our sins. He rode meekly into Jerusalem. And anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Eternal life. I, as well as many of you, have complete peace. I only see half the picture, but I have complete peace knowing my, it's well with my soul and I'm right with God and I didn't earn it. I received the gift. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to give your heart to him. I'm telling you, it will change everything will change everything. You'll think different. You'll value things differently. You'll be excited for God. He'll make himself known to you. 
The Lord is waiting for you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. And you say, wait, it's that simple? It can't be. Uh, it wasn't that simple. Jesus paid it all. Paid all the price. Made all the sacrifice. Took our punishment so that we could come to him. You can receive salvation today. You can receive the spirit of God living inside of you. You can receive the joy of the Lord and peace. And if ever there was a day where we need peace, it's today. I'm going to ask you to do two things if you're ready to give your heart to the Lord. First thing I want to ask is that you would just lift up your hand. It's not a formula, but you're just saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in the closing prayer, giving my heart to Jesus Christ. And then if you lift your hand, I, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come walk forward. I did it when I gave my life to Christ, to walk forward because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. This is not a day where we need stealth Christians, clandestine Christians. This is a day where we need people who are just saying, I'm willing to live for Christ. If you're here and you want Jesus as your Savior, would you lift your hand before we close? We're going to baptize someone who just did this a few weeks ago. Is there anyone else who's just saying, I want to know the Lord today. I want to leave this place knowing without a doubt I'm ready to meet Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your grace. Rest upon every home that's represented here, Father. Bless every family. Bless every marriage. Bless every single life, God. I pray, Father, blessings on, on the things that they own, Father, the animals in their care, the plants, anything that they're responsible to nurture. I pray a blessing on their children, grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, Father. I pray joy in their house, joy in their hearts. I pray the peace of God that passes all understanding. Provision for your house. Angelic protection wisdom for decisions and i thank you god declare that all in jesus name amen amen god bless you all so as quickly as i can get changed would you just hang around for a couple minutes and we're going to baptize claudia and we've been looking forward to this for a couple weeks and uh, it's going to be exciting if you need prayer today we're going to have elders here in the front you you need a miracle come forward let us pray for you thank you so much and god bless you all Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Matthew Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com.